It is time for you to keep the appointment which you have been destined for since you first stepped upon our aisle. But before that, need I remind you that this podcast contains adult language, mature situations, ridiculous Punch and Judy costumes, a powerfully devoted religious cult, a pious and righteous police officer in strange circumstances, bizarre musical sequences, nude crazy women, and the brilliance of Christopher Lee. Listener discretion is advised. It was upon a llama's night when corn rigs are bonny. Beneath the moon's unclouded light, I held a while to Annie. The time went by with careless heed till tween the late and early. With small persuasion, she agreed to see me through the barley. Corn rigs and barley rigs and corn rigs are bonny. I'll not forget that happy night among the rigs with Annie. Sincerely, I kissed her o'er and o'er again among the rings of barley. Corn rigs and barley rigs, and corn rigs are bonny. I'll not forget that happy night among. Spark and Movie Review, episode 89. It will not fail. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Spark and Movie Review, some podcast inventing reviews about connecting and narratives. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, buongiorno, and what's up? Yep, we're back for another fun-filled episode, and we are joined, once again, by... Uh, Vinny from All Geeks Considered. Yes, and also from our super podcast, which can be found on allgeeksconsidered.com, uh, Anim- Annie Gamers... Um, I believe it's on Reverse Thieves as well. Uh, I mean, I think Reverse Thieves, uh, Al was the host of it, so yeah, he launched yes. it first. Yes, yeah, so we talked about lots of random stuff. But uh, before I forget, you can check us out at uh, com. You can email me at zanspirekin.com. Uh, you can uh, email me at agcbloggers at gmail.com or find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm usually good to respond at uh, AGC. Yes, and so we should get to that t- topic because this is our final installment of a very special theme month the month of the month of melodies music and mostly mercurial protagonists our music month and yes we're at our final one and if you remember from the last episode where we reviewed a very well i enjoyed that episode i think it was was good yeah we had a very good topic talking about a classic film i'd say well it's going to be a classic eventually but it's a classic soundheim film and what we did was we rolled that one that only the Dodecahedron movies, and it dictated that you will be picking a movie for us to review. Yes, yeah. and, and you? I went a little bit off the board with uh, The Wicker Man, the nineteen seventy three version. Yes, and I disagreed, but after watching it, I see how it is a musical because there's a lot of musical numbers in it. But unlike other musicals, he actually says "stop, stop, stop, stop." Tells him to stop. Yeah, but it's one of those. The, it's he's cognizant that people are like you know, the characters are cognizant that they are singing unlike in a lot of musicals which are which are more like operas where you're not necessarily singing in your mind you're more just singing for production's sake this yeah. was more they're aware of it and the only person who's not singing is our main actor but before we get into that um this is 
directed by Robin Hardy, produced by Peter Snell, and it was written by Anthony Schaefer. And it's based on a book from 1963 by David Pinner known as The Ritual. And you got some really famous actors in this, surprisingly, even though we did not get this film until 1979 because they thought it would not sell, which is interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can see that thought pattern of it not doing too well necessarily, but in in my mind, I think it, it would definitely have at least a niche uh, that it could fill, especially with uh, our main anta- one of our big antagonist actors in this film. True, and it's also it's a very the whole production. There's a whole sorbid tale of what happened with the original print. But we'll get to that in a bit. So, who's, so this movie has a lot of actors who you may have never heard of. I mean, John Hallam, Jerry Cooper, Peter Barris, Roy Bard, but and Russell Waters. I mean, most of us have never heard of them. But let's go to the three that you will have heard of. The first one is Britt Eklund. Uh, she worked with our lead protagonist in an actual Bond movie because she was a Bond girl, and she was, um, I think, as her character. Uh, Willow, she was a little... She was a temptress. She was definitely, yeah, definitely a temptress. Pro- some sort of a seduction, you know. Her big thing was seduction. That was her power. And she failed kind of miserably with that, unfortunately. Not, not, that, not, that not, for her, not for her, you know. She didn't fail because of her talents. Just the other guy had a very good will save. Oh, yeah, that had to have been a crit, because you saw he was sweating and, like, about to freak out. Um, you have our protagonist, um... Edward Woodward, who you may know from a TV show called The Enforcer. I haven't seen that. This is what I associate him with, actually. This one he was old. That's what I remember from because he used to be on TV Land. But this is—he's a very interesting ca- main character because he's very—I don't want to say he's leading man-esque, but he's—he's he's the straight man in this. He's—he's he's the viewer's eye in this entire situation, even though he's trying to. Follow the narrative to the book. He's trying to do his. He's written by the book. Well, everyone else is going crazy, and it it kind of fails for him severely. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that he does a. The character is interesting because he's essentially the ideal cop in a lot of ways. Of you know, follows the law of the book, incredibly moral, but then is thrown into a completely different world that is, in all honesty, in his jurisdiction, but is so culturally different. He is essentially being put in an area which is technically it's like it's a different province almost it's under their rule but it has their own laws and he's like you have to follow the laws of, of Scotland that's the job and they're like yeah whatever you could say that but we're following our laws and we believe because that's what we believe and he is a typical religious zealot where he's trying to push his beliefs onto other people which it might be right but it is kind of dickish, a little bit. He, he's a pretty big, you know, dick in this whole thing. Yeah, he's he's unbending, and you see in the flashbacks that he's very like religion is his big deal, mm-hmm. and that's his that's his life essentially is is religion and the law. He's very noble, and this leads to his downfall. Finally, we have this one actor. You could say he's brilliant. You could say he's a horrible villain. You could say he's charismatic, but you can't deny his amazingness, his awesomeness, his just showmanship. And that is, of course, uh, the great Christopher Lee. The, the Really the standout star of this film, for me. Yeah, he is, without a doubt, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're both going to say he's our MVP for this film. No, you know he is. I'm, uh, I'll, I'll spoil it now. Yeah, no, I'm, we're going to do that first because it's Christopher Lee. It's, you know, Hammer Films, he's played Dracula and Van Helsing, he's played Sherlock and Moriarty, which is interesting. He's done a lot of villains and heroes of each other. Yeah. I, I was surprised that they mentioned that this is, was supposed to be a vehicle for him, even though he had been around doing the Hammer Films since the 50s at this point. It's been 15 years since that first Dracula film they did. Yeah, and this was actually a film that he was interested in because the director actually said he wrote uh, Robin Hardy wrote this character specifically for him. And he loves this movie according to interviews with him. This is his favorite movie. Well, this is the favorite movie he worked in. He, he says he, he did it for free, so... See, he had oh, def- oh, yeah. this, he, he, I think that is actual joy in his eyes, not acting in this film. Even him in drag, where he's yelling at people. That, I think that's normal Christopher Lee. I think this is just where he lives, actually, and this is actually documentary. Like they say at the beginning, we'd like to thank Lord Summer's Isle for letting us film on this film on his island. I think this is, he's actually Lord Summer's Isle. Like, everything else is an act. This is just his normal life. I can see that, and I bet you there is people he does sacrifice. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. So, 
Uh, for those of you who've been under a rock or just know the remake done by that horrible, detestable, and chronically hair-losing main actor, Nicolas Cage, this is a very simple story. So, a girl has gone missing and a police officer gets a letter saying, you know, my daughter's gone missing, please find her, I live on Summer's Isle. So, our officer, Sergeant Howie, goes out to this island and tries to find her, but as he digs deeper, uh, he finds his island that A, it has a, again, different culture, has gone to a, you know, druidic culture and it's at some point in its history or state as a druidic culture in its history. And it seems like the whole community is hiding something from him. You're trying to find this girl first, they deny she exists, then they say they, she's dead, but her, you know, the coffin is empty or has that rabbit in it, and then they kind of, you know, keep getting get doing different, you know, stories about what's actually going on. Caught in the middle trying to figure out what is going on, and as he digs deeper and deeper, the more closer to the proverbial nail he gets to. That was a symbolic scene. The, you knew he was the beetle that was going in that circle. Mm-hmm. Going closer and closer to that nail. Yeah. Some of you are wondering, wait, why is it called the Wicker Man? Well, that's because that's how this all ends with the Wicker Man. Very famous scene, and this is going to be severely spoiler-heavy, so if you've not seen this movie or heard about this, stop this now, go watch the movie, and come back. Because this movie came out in 73. That's over 40 years ago. And the remake is, oh, oh it got to be at least 10 years old now, too, so... Yeah, so it's you had to have seen or heard about the premise. I mean, the whole deal is that he's... The whole thing with the young girl whose name is Rowan, it was a ruse. It was to draw him there because they needed someone to... Alright, well, how to do this right? Should we go over uh, Lord Summersile's little theory? Or his premise? Or should we just go right into... or sum it up? Let, let's let's go through the theory first. Okay, so Lord Summersile buys this island on the edge of Scotland, which is barren. And Lord Summersile, original, was a chemist and a botanist. And he figured out... If I make a strain of plant which can grow on this, well, then we could flourish and life would be wonderful. And he, there are a bunch of natives there who are paganists. He's like, well, I'll use that paganistic religion to my advantage and they'll work harder. They believe that it's because the the pagan gods will this to grow. And that happens and he sticks with it. He dies and his son takes over and now as opposed to it being kind of a ruse, his son kind of believes in it. And then his son, who's played by Christopher Lee, believes in it, and he goes with it. He knows the truth, but he also knows he's kind of indoctrined in it. But he knows what's on the other side of the glass, which is really weird. He, I think, I think that they, you know, while they think that you know they know that it was made up by someone, they they think that you know that this what it is actually the truth. It's, it's a weird thing that like he says, you know, oh, you know, my grandfather just used this to get his. His experiment's done, but, um... His conviction at the end of the movie, it shows that he believes this 100%, that there is no denying it, that he's like, yes, these things actually exist, even though I know the truth. I'm not denying it. I believe that it has become true. I mean, he even says at one point, he's like, well, it works here, and and how, who's a devote Christian, asks him, well, what about the true God? And he's like, eh, well, he died. He blew it here in a very nonchalant way. Yeah. Because Chris really is like, just that oh, badass. He's dead. It's you know, simple as that. And he's like, and, and uh, our Lord, lady of the Queen of the May is in charge. And the whole shebang is that study pagan cultures in order to appease the different gods of nature. You sacrifice something. It could be an animal. It could be produce. It could be just something. I mean, if you look at the Greeks, the Greeks used to sacrifice the bones and fat of an animal to the gods, well... There's a whole reason why, because Prometheus thought he was smarter than the gods, tricked them because that smells better, but we're not going to talk uh, mythology, because that's our mythology podcast, which we'll do in a couple of weeks, because I'll be here for five hours, and I think we'll both be conversing back and forth. Yeah, we, this mythology can go on for a while. I mean, we can talk a little bit about the Druidic mythology that fits into this, but... Yeah, we're going to be here quite some time. Yeah. So you have to sacrifice something no matter what. If it's good, you don't have to sacrifice a lot. You just sacrifice part of your harvest. My problem is, if it's bad you got to give up something a little bit more... How would you say? I'd say valuable is the word I'd use. Yeah. Rarer, so, even. Yeah, a little bit more important. A delicacy, you, perhaps? Perhaps a delicacy, if we're talking about something that would be used in meat pies. Perhaps. 
yes, we're talking about you have to sacrifice a member of your community or someone who deals with it. So this whole trip, this whole the letter that uh, Sergeant Howie got is a trick. It's to get him there because they want to sacrifice him. And why him? Because he hits, fits these criteria, which are... He has, he has the king's authority because he's, yeah, he's, he's a police officer. He's a fool because he actually goes to his death when... Some of the people are trying to tell him, you should stop, you shouldn't do this. And he still goes. Because that's the feelings I got. A couple of them were like saying, hey, you shouldn't do this. Well, I mean, they. I think everyone on the island wanted him to go, and they knew that by saying, don't do this, you know. Like saying it to a child... Apparently, he has the mentality of like the three-year-old who you say, don't do this to. If he didn't do it, what would they do at that point? They'd be like, uh, he didn't he's, show up. Now well, what? He's obviously, not a fool. he's obviously not the fool, then, if he doesn't show up. So then, bye, Lord Summerdale. Bye. Or they sacrifice the girl. I don't know. But they, um, but there's that. It's He's a fool, and there was something else. Uh, and the fact that he was oh, a virgin. Yes, he was a vir- he was an adult virgin, which is because he did believe in marriage before, or it's sex before marriage. marriage. Even though he gets a very tempting offer by Willow, the innkeeper's daughter, who he's staying with. A very tempting, even though it's really trippy, because she sings, she's singing a song while beating the walls. Yeah. Oh, this film was very, like, 70s in a lot of ways. Like, the... the it's, you know, the, the music is, is, is very dated, the imagery in a lot of those cases... The way it's shot is almost is very, you know, has that 70s style. Yeah, that experimental 70s style like Zardos or like um, the movie Apple. It's just like you're like, should I be taking acid while watching this movie or drinking or smoking weed? It's just very trippy. It's very bizarre. And one thing I will say is that this is a film that you watch alone. You don't watch with other people for some reason. It When you watch with other people, it doesn't have the same effect. It's a little bit of a contemplative film. I, I uh, the first time I watched, it, I watched it with a group, but um, I can I can see that you definitely want to take it in it, it fully and not be distracted by other people. Because there's a lot of little subtle things here and there that emphasize the story and actually work together. Because as we said, how he's going to be a sacrifice in this whole mystery is building up towards it. It's going towards it. Like, what is going on? Where is this girl rolling? Why is everyone denying it? Why is the person who sent the letter supposedly denying it, who's her mother, who says, no, I don't have... My daughter's over here. And her daughter says, oh, Rowan's a rabbit. And it's... It's really strange. In that, you know, that, that no one accepts that this is happening. It feels to him. It's he's the only one who... It's like he is the only one who sees the truth and everyone else is just denying it or he is someone who has the flip notes of the story and he's like, hey, this is where the story is going. Like, no, no, no. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. And it just goes from there to insanity. But, as uh, we've been leading up to it, uh, so they catch him eventually. They, they reveal the truth that the whole thing was a setup. The girl, Rowan, actually was a bait for him and he walked right to the... Uh, he danced right to the plank, yep. essentially. And what is the plank? It is the nominal wicker man that um, is used in, not actually in Druidic culture, but in what the Romans said was Druidic culture, to have sacrifices. Yep, you put a bunch of animals and other things in this wicker man, then you light it on fire, and in the center, or in the head, depending on your preference, goes a human being. And that was one thing that kind of drove me crazy, is, alright, they took his clothes off, but he still could have kicked out of that wicker. I think he could have kicked out of Because you saw that the door was bustling back and forth. He could have got yeah, out of that. I, he, he, I mean, he wasn't tied up. I, I, yeah, I don't know why he didn't escape. I mean, I know in the remake they do kind of cover, they do break his legs. Yeah. So that, that might have been maybe in that extra time, or that in the full version. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, because they, they go full out in the original in the remake. They cover him with bees because he's going through anaphylactic shock. He's hobbled, and they're burning him alive. Yeah. And this one, it's just, hey, yeah, you, we just took off your clothes, we covered you in some stuff, and we threw you in here, and you could break out easily, but instead you're going to tell them that they're all heathens, and they're going to burn in hell, and then you pray to God, and then that's it. While well, they sing, Sumer Il, but yes, as he's burning alive, they sing, Sumer is Ikum In, which is kind of patronizing to him. And they're all smiling and, and looking at him as he's burning alive, saying, you're going to go to jail for this. Yeah. And that's the creepiest thing about this is because they're so fine with it. They are literally all singing and dancing and, and smiling about this. 
and he's screaming out Jesus Christ as he's burning alive. And just, it's like children are smiling, and the, it's just so creepy in such a a weird way. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that because that because it spoils. If you never saw this before, heard about it, that reveal is amazing. When you finally see the look on his face when you see that Wicker Man when he realizes. I'm going to be burned alive. Yeah, no, that that is you know, it's it's a great twist, and I wish there's a way. It's almost impossible to see this film without having it spoiled at this point. Just because it's such a cultural meme with the with the remake and with the oh the bees, God the bees, oh no the bees. Yeah. I mean, I know people who've never even heard of this, but they're not film buffs, and they're the ones who, if you show this to, they may say this is a stupid movie because it makes no sense. Because mm-hmm. this is a cult classic. It's a film. It's a more of a film. An, a film aficionado film? Yeah, it's it's definitely a cult film at this point entirely. I mean, if you're a film aficionado, horror fan, those kind of things. Yeah, even though, I part of me doesn't think it's... I've been thinking about it, and I think you're right. It's not really a horror film. It's, it's not, no. It's, it's not. I wouldn't it's say it's necessarily a horror film, but it definitely fits into that. People who like horror films would probably enjoy this. It's something else. It really is because there is because this is about the musicals. And the thing was, you said this is a musical. I said no way. There's no way it's a musical. And as I listened to it, it is a musical. It's a it's a musical. Like we said, it has the musical sequences. Some of the musicals, the musical pieces are very bizarre. They like, they the tell the story. They, the, the musical is again it's part of the film. It's not the method of telling the story. Like they, if someone is singing, they are actually singing. Yeah, and some of it is actually like in a play or in a musical where it's telling part of the story. Like, the first real song, I mean, you could say the intro music is, but I don't say that is. But uh, the first one would be this song about the landlady's daughter, Mm -hmm. which is just saying she's a slut and everyone's dancing, and he gets pissed off because, no, 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 I I can't think of something. I'm better than that. Yeah, no, he's... I really -hmm. really want to slap him in the face. He's a pain in the ass character, but... um. He is. I, I, I don't think that the, the the new one works because he doesn't have that same uh, zeal, that religious zeal that, that Howie has. Howie condemns every single person no matter what. Mm-hmm. And he's so to the book with it, like, if you don't do this, you're going to jail. Yep. That's how he gets his way. That's his card. It's like, yes, I need to look at these books. We can't show it to you at Lord Summer's house. I don't give a shit what you're saying. You don't do this, you're going to jail. They get him good when he's like, I'm going to go get more police. Now they fuck up your plane, which... Why the hell did you bring a plane in the first place? Maybe it's too far to boat. I would have stolen that big boat, honestly. I would have commandeered that big boat that he was on, the the shipping boat. Mm-hmm. It would have taken half the time to get there. I would have done that, but no, he's like, oh, my, my plane doesn't work, I'm screwed. Just do that, simple. Or he could have brought a gun. I don't think they really carry guns too much in England with their police. I mean, I don't, I don't know what it was in the 70s, but based on what I've seen in Torchwood. yeah. yeah. You're right. Unfortunately, you don't. It's only the SAS who have guns. Uh, but uh, where were we with this this interesting film? There's a lot to talk about with the, the, the way it is. Cause it's a very interesting film, but it's also really just like... Because Cinefantastique says that it is the Citizen Kane of horror movies. I don't quite know if I believe that. I mean, I, I'm not a big horror movie person, but... um. It, it definitely has a it has, has its place in, in the I'd say canon of of horror films. Yeah. It, it doesn't fit. It's not like a lot of other horror films that are particularly popular. Yeah, no, I would say that this is more of an experimental film. Mm-hmm. That's what I would give it as, and it's not really a horror film, but it's it's something that you should watch just in general. It's something just it's interesting, and it's one of those films that you watch just to watch, or or because you know you heard about it. It's on so many top one hundred films you have to see. For those big books of the thousand films you have to see in your life. This is guaranteed to be on there. Also, if I remember correctly, on Bravo, they had the 100 scariest TV movie moments, and there's like two scenes from this movie in there. I, I can, I, this is definitely scarier than a lot of like the slasher films that came after this. Yeah, because I mean, imagine that work, because it's the paranoia of this that everyone's against you. It's a very paranoid, and it's also... It's, a, it's believable enough, I would say. Like... For me, my problem with a lot of horror is that it's so fantastically out there that it's, you know, it's hard to believe. But you can kind of see, like, an isolated island really having its having its own culture that could... And you can get away with these kind of things. It's, um, it's, kind of, it's like in Roadhouse, 
where no one gets arrested for that for, for what happens at the end. And and that that was a real event in Roadhouse. And you know, it's the same kind of thing here, where the town gets away with it. Yeah, they just they get away with it because no one's gonna be around. They're gonna hide all the evidence. He didn't show up. He just disappeared, and that's it. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence because they burned the body, and there's no forensics at this point. Just put him in another grave, and then you're done. Yeah, I mean, hide the bones, get rid of the plane. They're set. And then, and then next year, when it fails horribly, Somerset is screwed. <laughs> uh, Summer, yeah, Summer's Isle. Or... I, I don't know. I'd be interested to see what happens. I, I do and don't want to know what happens after this. It's not relevant to the plot at all, in my mind. But just to see, you know, do the crops, you know, is just, was that just a bad, was that just a bad year? Because that, that does happen, or is it, you know, or have the the cultivars been so poorly selected at this point that they're just not going to yield anymore? Well, there is a sequel film actually called The Wicker Tree, which was um, oh, actually, let me see if it's uh, it's 2011 horror film that he made, and uh, Lord Summer's Isle is in it, and it takes place in the present. Uh, see, I don't know if I want to see that as much. That, that um, doesn't sound like it's that good, probably. Um. Let's see the reception on this bad boy. Um, Fangoria gave it positive uh, ratings for the most part. It's a black comedy. It doesn't have the impact of its predecessor. Still, you can open your mind to viewing, as my Python used to put it, something completely different. It's entertaining and um, decent, but Starburst Magazine says that it's one of the worst films I've ever, they've ever seen. It's probably not that that bad, but I'm not. I'd watch it with someone. That's something that's uh, probably the film that, that, that is uh, better to watch with someone, because uh, I'm sure it has got some pretty big big flaws to it. Yeah, but the company that released Vampire Hunter D released it, so that makes it that gets a point in its favor. Okay, and we'll it's like, a and we'll see working on a, uh, a C- another sequel. Yes, the Wrath of the Gods. Is that the Norse mythology? Perhaps I, that wouldn't quite work for me, but yeah, the first one I think made enough. The first two make sense, just but we talk about the music, we talk about the the visuals, seventies tastic. Camera work is a little paranoid, definitely, and, and again, and it gets more so as the film goes on. It, it makes you feel uncomfortable. That's why I think it's better being alone because you feel the the paranoia and the the not the conflict but the slight terror that how he feels as he as people are like they're giggling they're acting bizarre they're not listening to him and they're feeding him false information he knows it but he can't do anything about it really yeah and then when he finds later on there's a scene where he finds some photographs and he realizes kind of what's going on and then he goes into a library to piece all the things together and at that point He's, I would I would run if I was him I would run but he's uh, not smart enough to run no he says I'm gonna another six hours and then I'm gonna try going to my plane I would have said I'm going to my plane and if it doesn't work I will get a row and I will row the row the row it into the sea yeah I will I will swear if I have to yeah or take a boat and just make a makeshift lawnmower I don't or steal a, one of the big ships get the hell out of there anything just just get the hell out but he didn't see it. He's just, I gotta save this girl, I gotta save this girl, I gotta save this girl, because they're gonna kill her, they're gonna kill her. It's like... It, it's nobility to a fault. Because he is... He's a noble... I don't want to bash Howie too much, because he's not a bad character. He's very noble, and he sacrifices himself to save this girl who eventually betrays him. Yeah. I mean, he, the thing is, I think I think he's intentionally noble to a fault. Like, he's... It's written, it's written as a flaw. I don't think it's written as a positive attribute entirely. There's a statement that Willow says, he's like, aren't you gallant? Gallant, I believe? I think so. And that's what he is. He is gallant. He is like an old-time knight. It's, it's chivalry at, this, at that point for him. Yeah, it's just to do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because of other reasons. But but that could be a commentary on on sort of on chivalry and on religiosity in general. That is a... I never thought of that. That's actually a good point. Could be a commentary on that. I mean, because it's... In the in certain situations, is it worth it to be sh- to follow your ethics and be that chivalrous, yeah. or do you do you forego chivalry for common sense? Is, is your how hey how much is your life worth? You know, do, do, do your morals outrank your life? Kind of question. I mean, at the point when he's about to be sacrificed, I mean, Summers Isle even says he's like, "Well, don't worry about it. You're gonna you're getting the greatest degree possible. You believe in God? That's no problem. You're gonna be a martyr." Mm-hmm. martyr. So you're going to be next to the saints, and you're, everything's going to be fine. You'll be reincarnated and everything. Mm-hmm. And yet, he, I, I like that he does still show 
fear. He does kind of break a little bit. He breaks hard at that point. So he, but he kind of does compose himself after that, but there's a very clear break in his uh, mentality. Yeah, because he tries reasoning with these people. I mean, there was another option he could have taken. And you saw the point. Like, he had a very easy option. He could have theoretically survived, but he didn't take it. See, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going to guess that that's a very rocky jump. It is. There's a possibility you could break your legs, break your spine, but when you have the entire group of people surrounding you in that big, scary, drunk Scotsman... It's probably your best bet. Yeah. I mean, it, it can also be paralyzing fear, but... It's... Yeah, it's... He had to make the choice, I mean... On... Well, actually, he's a, he's a Christian, so therefore, suicide is frowned upon, so... Yeah. I mean, he, he, he couldn't do it intention to kill himself. He could... But I can imagine him doing it to try to survive. Yeah, him him leaping to survive, and he didn't want to take it for some reason. It's like because he thought they'll listen to him. No, they won't listen to you. They're wearing creepy masks. Yeah, no, they're wearing masks. Like he he definitely is trying to like use reason in, like, at that point and like scientific logic of, and, of how and, crops work, but no one is listening. Yeah, and the person who knows the truth is still like, yeah, this is going to work. I promise it's going to work. Uh, but, well, you, you, wait, when you say it there, it, it sounds kind of like that he, he he knows that he's lying, but it, as you're saying earlier, like Lord Summer's Isle believes this as much or more than everyone else on the island. Yeah, he does. He His conviction is beyond repute. It's just like, this is what it is. It will work. Mm-hmm. And, and I like how he's very charming throughout the entire time. He's still, he's not an evil... We're doing this because you're just like, look, this just has to. This is going to happen, and we're going to be nice to you, even though we're going to kill you. I mean, this is going to help our island, but we we have to do this. Like yeah. he, he's the he's the villain of the film, but he's not a bad person. Or I guess he's the antagonist. I should say then, because you know, yeah. I mean, he's still a bad person, but he's he's he is as with all good villains, he is the hero in his own story. And unlike Judge Turpin, he really, besides this, he really doesn't do anything else really bad. No. I mean, killing people is still horrible, but he's not, I'm going to abuse... Well, actually, no, he does. The whole... My entire argument just went out the window on on, on rethinking about this. Well, who does he really abuse, though? Well, you know, well, it's all to him. It's, you know, he psychologically torments him, doing, laying all these games and traps. Yeah. All for the end result, which is for the good of the people. Which is a very Dumbledore thing, if you think about it. It's for the greater good. You sacrifice the one person. Yeah. See, I think the, yeah. the, 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 one of the rules is that the guy has to go willingly to the sacrifice, so... They almost have to string him along. And... In order... In a one scene, he actually... How he actually beats up someone to steal their costume as Punch the Fool, which is who the king for a day, which is part of their prophecy... And it's how do they not? I I'm pretty sure everyone knew it was him. I think so. I, I, mean, I think they are all in on the plan. It's like, but it keeps cutting back to, but the film keeps cutting back to him struggling in the bedroom. So I'm like, why are you doing that? It's not like it, you know. Is it because he's upset? He's going to miss the the sacrifice. I'm not quite sure why they were kind of. I mean, there were different some choices that I don't know why they were quite made in this film. Like, what were some of the ones? Because that was the one that was really bugging me. It's like, why would you keep coming back unless it's a red herring? Which is why I was thinking it's a red herring. So you don't think they're, that they're going to... Until they reveal. There was a... Uh, there was something that they focused on something for just a little too long, I noticed, and that kind of bothered me. But I think it's when they're walking to a shop, and it goes just focuses on a sign. And I don't quite... And the sign never comes up again. But at least for a good, like, two or three seconds after the scene of that had ended. Oh, and it's like, you think it's its significance, but it has nothing to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of weird camera choices. Um, also, some of the, sh- the long shots of them riding around town with nothing happening, that was a little, it seemed like it was a waste of the film, but there were 20 minutes cut out of the film, so there might have been actual more to it. Yeah, I mean, that could be part of it. But I think that gives a good sense of the island, though. They do want to give an idea of the, the culture and the people there, usually, with those scenes. Yes, and the, the boys dancing around a maypole, which and they're basically telling these little kids straight up about sex. Yep. Not even 
hiding it. They're just like, yeah, this is how it works, you know? And that, that makes an interesting dichotomy with, you know, sort of, especially in America, the, the you know, sort of how we view sex, sex ed and, you know, things like that. I mean, some... I'm not going to do one of those old-timey ones. When I was young, you know, I mean, but... I mean, kids nowadays do know a lot more about the act, not the actual result. This is more the result. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's the thing, though, that you don't... That's not often discussed in public. That's one of the that makes, makes this culture interesting and unique, I think. Yeah, it's... It's, yeah, you got, you have sex, then you have a kid, and then the kid shows up, then the kid dies, and then it comes back and becomes a tree, and the tree, it's a circle of life. Mm-hmm. It's about the phallic symbol, which gives you strength, and dancing over fires, and getting impregnated by gods. And, all all yeah. the crazy shit. Yeah, this is, some of you are like, what the fuck are you guys smoking when, no, this is seriously this movie. This it's movie all, is, we have not said anything that's not in this film. Yeah, I mean... We're just scratching the surface with, like, if mm-hmm. we want to really dig into this. I mean, I've heard rumors that there's master theses about this film. I believe that. I, I definitely can see that. It's just a, such a diverse and unique film, and it's a character study about the town. It's not about the man itself. I mean, Sergeant Howie really is not... He's not a non-character, but he's just an archetype. He, he, he's the knight in shining armor, to, you know, in the modern day. Yeah, and it's it's not going to end well. And I mean, the rest of it, the town, it's just so intriguing. You want to actually look into it more see what else goes on besides what happens during autumn and May. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wonder what else do they do? I mean, you see pictures of other sacrifices, but you see in the pictures every single one. It's about the full harvest, so it's like, what else were they sacrificing? It's probably just the, just the, a bit of the harvest. I mean, I mean, part of the point is that, that they had good crops once the Summer's Isles, the Lord Summer's Isle first arrived. And it's only very recently that things have kind of fallen apart. And it wasn't that long, though. That's the other thing. You see in the the pictures, there's only, like, ten, uh, what is it? It's only ten pictures were taken. Well, that can be like, sort of taking, taking photos of it. Um, I don't yeah. know the exact number. But all of them had, had a very large sacrifice. Yeah, he said his grandfather took over, then his father himself. So, arguably, if his father was, we'll say, 30? I'd say 100 years. So they said, like, 1860-something. Yeah, so 100 years. It's every year they do this. So it's not every 10 years. It's mm-hmm. not every... Like, the remake, it was every 10 years they had to do this. Yeah. The remake took this concept and it really was ham-fisted. It, it, There's more... The remake doesn't work because it's... You're supposed to have it set in, in America, on the West Coast, but it's still with the same, like, druidic culture... It was more of feminist culture. Yeah. This is one of those movies which tells you that one theory, which this movie would not have happened if you had a cell phone. No. One cell phone call away, the entire town would be arrested. I mean, unless, of course, you you know, you make, you you write out the, you know, then you write the, oh, well, there's no service here, you know, you know, something along those lines. You you can always make a bad write-in, but outside contact easily would, would kill the whole film. Yeah, it would, unless you had the outside contact in on it, which would have been a nice... Mm-hmm. If, yeah, you, yeah, you can talk to the, uh, the, the you know, you, you make him think he escaped. He runs off, he gets communication, he calls, he communicates to someone else, and he shows up and then goes, yeah, yeah, come on, let's find the person drives right back to the town. Yeah, that would have been a good twist. That would have been a, even, maybe better, but still a good twist. It would have been a twist upon a twist. Mm-hmm. Like, Wait, what? Because he escapes and then that's it. Alright, well, so, uh, is there anything else you want, any other topics you want to bring up about this film before we, we kind of put it to a close a little bit? No, I think, I think we can put it to a close at this point. I mean, we've covered, we've covered the biggest points, and I don't want to give two, I mean, we've given parts away, but I think this is a film that you get a lot out of watching it. Yeah, you're, you you're not just watching it for the end. You're watching it to see him get burned alive. You really are. It's disgusting and gross, but it's what you really want to see. And they could definitely made that a little more graphic than they did. I think they they did hold off on the on the the gore in this film, which is which is impressive for an English horror film. Well, it's an English English horror film. So they're very. Um, I I disagree. If you look at the Hammer stuff, those are. Well, it's Hammer. Yeah, but but though that's one of the big British horror things. That's what a lot of people think of. I think of British horror, and there are other like imitation studios like that that popped up around the time. But this is much more staid than those. Uh, yeah. So those you don't know, it's time time for what we're talking about, and that's that one, that only, 
our ratings. So, for those who don't know, we have a five-point rating system. Our highest rating being really, really, really fucking cool. To our lowest rating being protests outside your local red box. So, no one wants to represent pizza shit. Um, so, Vinny, what would you give uh, 1973's The Wicker Man? I am going to give it the um, the highest rating, which okay. is, what are you doing? Go to the store and buy this right now. Okay, so you definitely go so cool. You're going with the really, really, really fucking cool. I'm going to go with, actually... And you're going to think I'm a heathen for this. i saying great things about this movie. But I'm going to go with worth watching once in theaters or on DVD. Now, hear me out. Okay. Reason why is that it's a great movie. It's interesting. It's intriguing. It's brilliant. But the problem is that it has been spoiled. It it's has, spo- and, it's and it doesn't quite. Like, it doesn't. It's not as good on rewatches. Yeah. But it's definitely. I, I I would enjoy showing to people. Yeah, it's worth watching once. The problem is that if they've never heard of it before, then they'll they'll love it. But so many people have been tainted, and they think, oh, it's a, it's a remake of the Nicolas Cage movie. And you're like, what? Yeah. Flip it around. Flip it around, people. Or it's like, yeah, I know it's gonna work. Where was the Wicker Man? I want for the t- it's it's a movie that's out of its time element, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. With the increase of social media and with the internet, the whole premise of the film it kind of negates itself. It used to be you just see the sign. The Wicker Man had no idea what the hell it was about. Now you know. Now you know. It, now you know the ending. But I, I, I do like the ride of getting to that point. And that's why it's worth. I think it's worth enjoying once. And if you are a film buff, I will put it up there to really, really, really fucking cool, but for our average listener, it's definitely worth watching once in theaters or on DVD, and if they could remake this again without the feminist B theme and the, we're gonna say it's the advent of the Wicker Man within two minutes of the movie, mm-hmm. I would recommend that they remade it. I could think of six other actors who would be better than Nicolas Cage. Well, so that, makes, that makes it a Cage film. It makes it a different kind of enjoyable. Yes, me. watching him wear a bee suit and punch out a, a manly chick. No, no, he drop kicked her. When he's right? a bear and then he punches a woman. Yes, because he's in his bear suit. And yes. Just fortunately, we're never going to review that one on this podcast because Dave and Joel's review, I think there is no way to... You, you can't top it, so don't... I wouldn't... Yeah, it's not... It, I don't know if it would be worth trying to... Did you really just, you just like take that one and review the episode... Review the episode. Actually, that would be interesting. We review their review of the Wicker Man, or we try and have them on the episode. Be like, yeah, what? I doubt they'd be like, what? The-? But let's be honest, that's warranted for another day. Seriously, so we're done. We're finished with this month of musicals, and we can get to something else. Even though we didn't get to really talk much about Les Mis or some of the other big musicals. No, because well, speaking of Les Mis, yeah, I like the I like the movie a lot. It was good. Okay. I thought it was really well done. I thought the changes to the songs were, for the most part, warranted, and they, they flowed better. Even though the reorganization of stars happening before he shows up in in Paris, after, that was a little weird, but I liked it. I liked um, all the all of actors. I think Russell Crowe was a little bit weak, but he did good. That I my actually he my biggest problem with that film was um was honestly, yeah how so I just could not stand his singing voice it annoys the hell out of me every time every time I watch that film for most of the songs I agree but the the one which is my fa- favorite song of him and um and Hugh Jackman that one worked that only worked because Hugh Jackman has a, has, has a very good singing voice I th- I just I really did not like his sing him his singing in that film. Like it took me out of whatever scene he was in. Even Confrontation? The confrontation yes. scene? Yeah. Anne Hathaway, I see why she won Best Supporting Actress, even though she should have... She was in the movie for so short. Well, it's a supporting role, though, so... I mean, I'll, I, supporting role, you can kind of get away with a short period of time. True. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, he was actually good in it. Even though it was a little weird for him to keep changing accents from British to French to something else to British... That, that, that almost fits with the character for me. Yeah, because he's a shyster. And you read what I put on Twitter today. I'm like, okay, so Jean Valjean steals a loaf of bread, 19 years in jail. The Thera, I can never pronounce her last name, the Thera, the Thera, Thena, years, rip people off, steal a bunch of stuff, yet they're perfectly fine. That, that, that's one of those tragedies of, of the of the story. I think that that they get away with everything, and he and he is you know in jail for most for twenty years essentially for a crime to help someone. How old do you think he was when 
it happened. They never really say his age when it first happened. I'm thinking he was in his teens. Because otherwise uh, he would have been 40 when the, mo- the it starts. Teens are like early early 20s. Like, that's the latest it could be. But it's somewhere between like early teens early 20s. Yeah, because he ends up, at the end, he's sixty, at least 60 years old. Mm-hmm. Best case scenario, worst case scenario, maybe 80? I don't, I see, I don't, may, maybe 80. And that's, that's that, that I think is pushing it. It is probably teens. Because back then you didn't have as much of a life expectancy. And, uh, and he also didn't walk around the, 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 the Parisian sewers, so that, that could not have helped uh, whatever he had going on. Yeah, true. That made him. That's probably why he got sick at the end and died, because of that. Yeah. Because he, he was pretty... He got pretty fucked up in that movie. I mean, the fact that Mario survived with his open wounds in the French sewers is almost a miracle. Meanwhile, his best friends and uh, Gavroque, that was... That's tragic, though. That yeah. was, I think, the most tragic death. Well, it has to be. I mean, the Gavroche death is always another one that really hits me hard whenever I say it. Because he's... Well, I mean, I understand why they, they took the shot, because he's helping the enemy, but he was a kid. It's... I think it would have been more impactful if the person who shot him had showed the reaction. It was, like, a complete... Like, it was an accident. Like, he wasn't aiming there. The thing is, you knew they were aiming for him. So... Yeah. It kind of negates that. And also... Overall, that's that's a, it's a great film. I enjoyed it a lot. I liked a lot of the scenes. I loved the the way it was. It didn't pull its punches with it, and they stayed true to the story. And they edited it out a little more. It was better than the Liam Neeson version, which some people may say is heresy because it doesn't have Liam Neeson. But you know what? The book's been around for how many like oh, 150 years? There've been so many different versions of it that I don't think there really can be a heresy with that particular story of changing the actor around. Yeah, or changing the story to focus on specifically just uh, Javert and Jean Valjean. Yeah. Even though I do like uh, Jeffrey Rush as Javert, I think he was he might have been better in this film if he could sing, but he can't sing. Yeah. Well. Also, you don't you don't want to recast someone in the same role in a remake. Still say the best version of the play I've ever seen was the ten year anniversary because at the end of it. They got 17 different... Oh, 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 I know that concept. That is the best version of it. Of, I, I agree with that entirely. Yeah, because I just love the fact that and you have all of them sing... Uh, well, it wasn't One More Day. It was um, Can You Hear the People Sing. Yeah. In all the different languages. You're a song from... Uh, from Wickerman or from Les Mis? Les Mis. Wickerman is a song from No. Um, for... Let's see. I mean... I like Bring Him Home is one of the songs that I like. I mean, I really do like the... It's one of the... I like the whole thing, but, you know... Depending on what mood you're kind of in, I, I like that whole... I do like, um... Actually, I want to go with Do You Hear People Sing in the end uh, ABC Cafe. That whole sequence. Okay. Alright. I am going to go with... Well, I'm, I'm stuck with two. I'm stuck with, um... Confrontation. Okay. Good choice. It's a, it's a good choice, and also, I mean, you could say... It, who Am I leads into that, but it's going to be Competition, and then it's going to be Little Fall of Rain, because that's a really emotional scene. Because she, because Bethany, I mean, she wasn't a good person, but she was, she's a very tragic figure, because she does all this for this guy that's never going to love her, and she saves his life, and he's going to probably forget about her, because he yeah. has the girl. Yeah, it, it, it's a love triangle that, that he doesn't, and he doesn't even, the other two don't know that it's a love triangle. And her parents aren't going to give a crap that she's gone. They, nope. They don't give two shits. But, um, alright, now, before I forget, um, one thing I want to mention in, what was your favorite scene from The Wicked? We didn't go over that. We forgot. It's the bottom of my note. Okay, um, my favorite scene is actually, is that whole parade sequence, because I think is the most paranoid and overall creepy part of the film. Um, for me, it's going to be the... I'm going to go to the school scene, because that's when he officially knows that everyone knows what's going on in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that's... where they first twist the truth on him, even further saying, yeah, it's not that she doesn't exist, it's that she's dead. And then it gets further worse. It also hints it with the whole Beatles sequence in the school scene. Uh, most like a dog scene, though, was the seduction scene. It's like, you're like, why, why is he in this movie? Okay, cool, boobs, and 70s muck, but still... Yes, it's, 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 but it's like that weird, weird 70s nudity, so, like, you're creeped out by it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I should be turned off, but no, God, no. But, please, okay. please make a stop. Okay, so, with that in mind, um, uh, 
Um, she said, are you on my phone? Well, first off, maybe you can check out uh, our podcast. It's www.sparkin.com or on iTunes. Uh, email me at zansparkin.com on Facebook, Twitter, and email Vinny. Uh, you can email me at agcbloggers at gmail.com or uh, probably better to find me on Twitter at vinnyav, uh, AGC, or just go to our website, www.allgeeksconsidered.com to find our whole podcast archive. Or if you're an alternate Oticon, check out Science and Anime. Oh, yeah, definitely check, definitely check that out. This might be the best version. Now, is it science or is it science? It, it is science. Just with, the ex- with the exclamation point? No. Okay, it's just regular science. Okay. It is. We will actually be talking about the science behind it. Uh, sadly, Walt Amos isn't going to be at that. Isn't going to be at Oticon, but because he is the best person to do when he does that panel. Yeah, because he's yeah, because he's very knowledgeable. He is. I mean, he's a rocket scientist himself. In in like actuality. Yes. So it should be, and it's with you and Evan Minto. Mm-hmm. Oh, what day is it? Uh, I don't know yet. Okay. Yes, because the panel schedule isn't up yet, or it is, or I don't know. It's not up yet. I mean, Oticon usually gives it, puts it out about a week or two ahead of time, so. Okay. Yes, check that out. And so, with that in mind, let's start, get to that part you all waiting for. What am I talking about? I'm talking about that one, that only, Dodecahedron of movies. Yes, friends, Dodecahedron of movie now, except no substitute. Now, what is a Dodecahedron movie? It's a 12-side object, and what we're going to do is we're going to roll this Dodecahedron movies, and whenever we'll number it lands on that's we're reviewing in the next episode of the Spark and Movie Review. Now, you know, as I said, 12-side, and there's nine movies. What we're going to do is, if it lands on 10, Vinny picks, and hope maybe you might pick again. If it lands on 11, roll again, and if it's 12, uh, it's my choice. So let me roll and see what we're reviewing in the next episode. Ugh, lands on an 11, ironically. Roll again. Number 7. 7 is upside down. Ah, so in the next episode, we're reviewing a sci-fi movie about two planets with opposite gravity that are intertwined with each other. And if you're one planet and you go to the other one, your gravity is affected by that planet. Sounds good. Yep, so if you go from the bottom planet to the up planet, you'll be going towards your planet. So if you bleed, you spit, go to the bathroom, it's going to go up. Really cool movie. So I'm curious, what were the other movies you uh, My picks that I had were uh, Finding Nemo, mm-hmm. Bullet to the Head, nice. Amadeus, and Pokemon the first movie. That's it. That's, that's the one where that means. If we had gotten out, would I have Pikachu's vacation? Uh, that would be, be up to you. But yes. I mean, I think so, because it's only like an hour long as the movie itself, so you need kind of need that little uh, short... I've never seen that theater. That was awesome. But, um, so I guess that's it for this episode. I mean, plus, uh, you're welcome to come back anytime that you want, Vinny. Okay, I mean, just, just set, you know, just if you're looking for someone, I'm usually available. Just need to know a little bit ahead of time so I can get to watch the movie. I always will, and, um, yep, um, so I think that's it, so... That mind, uh, what's your favorite quote from the movie? Uh, my favorite quote was... Uh, All this. I mean, you, you, you've got fake, fake, fake biology, fake religion. Sir, have these children never heard of Jesus? Himself the son of a virgin, impregnated, I believe, by a ghost. Do sit down, Sergeant. Sharks are so much better absorbed with the knees bent. Please. Now, those children out there, they're jumping through the flames in the hope that the god of fire will make them fruitful. Really, you can hardly blame them. After all, what girl would not prefer the child of a god to that of some acne-scarred artisan? And and you you encourage them in this? Actively. It's most important that each new generation born on summer hour be made aware that here the old gods aren't dead. And what of the true god? to whose glory churches and monasteries have been built on these islands for generations past. Now, sir, what of him? Well, he's dead. He can't complain. He had his chance, and in modern parlance, blew it. What? It's very simple. Let me show you. In the last century, the islanders were starving. Like our neighbors today, they were scratching a bare subsistence from sheep and sea. 
Then in 1868, my grandfather bought this barren island and began to change things. A distinguished Victorian scientist, agronomist, freethinker. How formidably benevolent he seems. Essentially the face of a man incredulous of all human good. You're very cynical, my lord. What attracted my grandfather to the island, apart from the profuse source of wiry labor that it promised, was the unique combination of volcanic soil and the warm Gulf Stream that surrounded it. You see, his experiments had led him to believe that it was possible to induce here the successful growth of certain new strains of fruit that he had developed. So, with typical mid-Victorian zeal, he set to work. The best way of accomplishing this, so it seemed to him, was to rouse the people from their apathy by giving them back their joyous old gods. And that as a result of this worship, the barren island would burgeon and bring forth fruit in great abundance. What he did, of course, was to develop new cultivars of hardy fruit suited to local conditions. Well, of course, to begin with, they worked for him because he fed them and clothed them. But then later, when the trees started fruiting, it became a very different matter. And the ministers fled the island, never to return. What my grandfather had started out of expediency, my father continued out of love. He brought me out the same way, to reverence the music and the drama and the rituals of the old gods. To love nature and to fear it. Rely on it and to appease it where necessary. He brought me up. He brought you up to be a pagan. A heathen, conceivably, but not, I hope, an unenlightened one. And um, my uh, favorite quote was at the end of the movie. Uh... What you do, you can't change the fact that I believe in the life eternal as promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the life eternal, as promised to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. That is good, for believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days, a martyr's death. You will not only have life eternal, but you will sit with the saints among the elect Come. It is time to keep your appointment with the wicker man. Now wait! Now all of you, just wait! And listen to me. And you can wrap it up any way you like. If you are about to commit murder. Can you not see? There is... There is no sun god. There is no... Goddess of the fields. Your, your crops failed because your strains failed. Fruit is not meant to be grown on these islands. It, it's against nature. Well, don't you see that killing me is not going to bring back your apples? Summer Isle, you know it won't. Well, go on, man, tell them. Tell them it won't. I know it will. Well, don't you understand that if your crops fail this year, next year you're going to have to... Have another blood sacrifice! And next year, no one less than the King of Summer Isle himself will do! Do if the crops fail, Summer Isle! Next year, your people will kill you on May Day! They will not fail! The sacrifice of the willing king like Virgin Pool will be accepted! Well, don't you see, I'll be missed! So, that's it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next time on uh, Sparkin. Review and check out the other podcasts with manga review, game review, and check out All Geeks Considered at allgeeksconsidered.com. Right, that's yep. it. So that's it. We're out of here. So I'm going to stop. Now, for our more dreadful sacrifice. of your own free will to the appointed place. Okay, so...
It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul, freeze thy young blood. to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. Where is Rowan Morrison? If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know of him. I suspect murder. Sergeant, I've already In the name of God, woman, what kind of mother are you? That can stand by and see your own child slaughtered. You are the fool, Mr. Harvey. You're liars. Are despicable little liars. And he'll be appearing at a panel at Otakon coming up. Yep, I'll be doing one panel uh, with Evan Minto called Science in Anime. What type of science are you talking um, about? I haven't, made a th- I haven't made the clips yet, but we've d- in the past we've done animal behavior, magnetism has been talked about. We go pretty broad with our topics in that one. Mm. Are you going to be using any clips from Rojin Z? Maybe. Not gonna, I'm not going to spoil it yet, but I want to have at least well, that- a few new clips from uh, previous times. So. Well, this will be the first time I've ever seen it, so it should be interesting. Okay. Yeah, yes, uh, as I kind of spoiled it, I'll be going to Otakon. And when this comes out, this is the last week of uh, July, so Otakon is next. And surprisingly, they announced who the special guest was. I was shocked at who they got. Uh, yeah, I uh, can't wait to see uh, Shinichiro Watanabe. I want to bring my limited edition Bebop the box set with the CD. I'm afraid someone will beat me up and take it. Uh, yeah, these are the risks you take. True, but in addition... So. But what are you looking forward to for Otakon? Uh, yeah, right now, uh, the Yoko Kano concert is something that's on my list. Um, 
obviously Shinichiro Watanabe. As always, the Masao Mariyama panel. He always does a great panel talking about what he's doing with his studio. And I haven't looked at the panel list too much, but I'm sure I'm going to hit as many panels as I can get to. Yeah, same here. I'm going to go all out. Lots of pictures, lots of stuff. I'm just excited to go because it's my first Otakon. Really? Yeah. Every year I can't go, I can't make it because this, that, or the other thing. This year I was like, you know what? I got nothing tying me down, so I'm going to go. I got a hotel room for $150 for the whole weekend. Oh, that's a great price. Uh, it's about five miles away. Oh. But I have a car. Okay, well then that makes it easier. Although, that'll uh, boost the cost right there. Side. Yeah, but... What else am I going to do? I mean, I tried getting closer, but everything's sold out. Yeah, it books out fast, so you got to be careful with that. Yeah, but it's, it's. I mean, I found one place which had it for $25 a night. I don't know if I trust for $25 a night. <laughs> That's why. It was one star, and it was like, it said like mile and a half, so it was like four blocks from the Macan. Uh, I was like, it's not bad, but one star. How do I know they're not going to steal my shit? When I, I think you do know that they're going to steal your shit when you leave, actually. I, I think they'd leave the ship, but then they'd infect it. God knows what, or they'd have a camera watching you the entire night to, to, to blackmail you later on. Probably. I mean, there's something shady with that one. I, I don't know what it is inher- necessarily, but, I mean... So that's, well, that's why I went with the, uh, this, the 150 for the three nights, which isn't bad, because it's two nights you pay for and one night free. Okay. And if I can get someone else to show up, then maybe it'll be a little easier. We'll see. Because, uh, unfortunately, uh, sorry to let you guys know, but uh, Demona has given me her walking papers, so she is no longer part of the podcast. She just got, like, stuff happened. Well, good luck to her, and hopefully we'll find another editor or another female podcaster. See what happens with that. 